Now we're going to read from God's Word, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're going to talk about unseen causes. The, the, the maybe the the explanations that we haven't ever spoken, they're unvoiced, that they're, they're behind what's going on with our trouble, with, with our exhaustion, with our heartache. Now, we're familiar just with this, this concept about unseen causes. You know, maybe, maybe you go for weeks with an uncharacteristic fatigue and a headache, and you're wondering what's going on. This has been going on longer, and it's not typical. But then, after weeks of this, you, you discover there's a carbon monoxide leak in my home. You, you had been sensing and suffering from the symptoms, but you misattributed all that time. You misattributed the cause to stress or to something else. But all that time, it was carbon monoxide. Now, these days, people know about all kinds of different unseen causes. There could be radon. There could be celiac disease, even just structural things, structural injustices behind things. But, but what about things where there's an unseen cause and human, human, humankind, humanity doesn't even know about it? There's no word for it. They don't have any protocol to help diagnose it. They just don't know about it yet. What about significant causal factors that will remain undiscovered and maybe it'll be 10 years before people even know that it's a thing, something maybe behind our, our medical troubles, something maybe unseen and significant behind our, our re- relational stru- strains, maybe something that's still unidentified but behind things going on in the, in the environment. Well, today our passage talks about a significant unseen power and how to stand against it, how to see and stand against your unseen enemy. 
Now we're focusing this morning on verses 10 through 13 in this passage. And we're going to look at three things here. Three things. First of all, you need to think bigger. You need to think bigger. And then secondly, you must stand. You must stand in the evil day. And then thirdly, the strength to stand in the evil day. So you you must think bigger. You must stand in the evil day. And you're going to need strength to stand in the evil day. So first, you, you need to think bigger. Whatever you face, whatever it is that you're facing, you need to think bigger. You're facing bigger unseen things behind what you see and and what you know about. There is something big below the surface. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, Paul brings up the spiritual realm. He brings up the devil. And when he brings up the devil here, he's also bringing up this network and this this structure of power in the spiritual realm. He, He uses the phrase here, the spiritual forces of evil. He's drawing a picture of a volunteer army of fallen spirits who follow the devil. So think about the context in which Paul is speaking and writing these words. Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Paul is writing locked up. He's in jail. Earlier in this epistle, Paul's criminal incarceration is discouraging some of these people. Paul's criminal incarceration is discouraging some of these readers. Some of them, it says in chapter 2, some of them have lost heart over Paul's troubles. And so Paul is saying to them, Paul is saying to them, you need to think bigger. You need to think bigger than the details of my arrest. You need to think bigger than this prison. You need to think bigger than the Roman Empire and the tyranny of the Roman government. He says, you need to think about the devil and the spiritual dynamics that are now playing out. Playing out for me, playing out for you. The Bible teaches that the physical realm that we inhabit, this physical realm that we now inhabit, what we see, what we touch, what we hear, it is interleaving. It is interleaving with another realm. It's interleaving with a spiritual realm which we can't see. It's invisible. We can't see or read it on our electromagnetic sensors. It doesn't show up on that spectrum. But this spiritual realm, it intersects with your life. It intersects with your successes and it intersects with your struggles. Can I give you just a mini theology of this spiritual realm? And I, I want to show you how the spiritual realm, specifically the, the plans that the devil has and works out in this spiritual realm, I want to show you how that spiritual realm can intrude into your reality, into my reality, into this reality that we can touch and hear. For instance, in the Bible, consider, consider the devil's involvement in harming physical health, consider the devil's involvement in harming emotional health, consider the devil's involvement in harming spiritual health. For instance, think about King Saul. King Saul's troubled mood, King Saul's paranoia, 
in 1 Samuel 16. It says there that a troubling spirit would put Saul into this state of, of dark and paranoid brooding. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that every mental or emotional health crisis is caused by the devil. I'm not saying that. But the devil can be involved. That's one of the avenues that he can use. The devil has the ability to tell, to tell a convincing lie to the whole planet. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out. That's speaking of the devil. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. The devil is able to deceive the whole world. The same thing is said not only in the Old Testament, but also uh, not, in, not only in Revelation, but also in 2 Thessalonians 2. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, Here's, the, here's the, the power of the devil to lie to the planet. God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they should believe the lie that the devil had brought. Now, isn't, isn't that part, I'm not saying it's the cause behind every emotional health, every mental health crisis, but isn't that part, isn't that one of the strands in every kind of, of emotional and mental health crisis. Something untrue appears true to the sufferer. The person, the person maybe is certain that everyone hates him. The, the underweight person who is certain that she is overweight. The hoarder who, who feels secure with stuff, with too much stuff. Something, in all those cases, something Untrue seems true, but it's a delusion. And, and nothing that anyone says will change your mind. It could be medical, it could be spiritual, it, it could be both. Couldn't it be both? It could be both happening. Consider the devil's involvement in, in also being able to have an effect with physical health. The devil's involvement sometimes in harming physical health. Remember, remember Paul's metaphorical thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's Paul's physical problem that felt like he was in a dark closet getting a beating from the messenger from the devil. Or think of how it's described. This, this woman in Luke 13, she had chronic back pain, chronic back problems, and it says that she was bent over, literally bent over, for 18 years because Satan had singled her out. Now again, we are not saying that every sickness comes at the hand of the devil. But you've got, to, you've got to recognize his potential involvement in medical troubles as well. Now, consider the devil's involvement in weather disasters and in, in something like gang violence. In the book of Job, what do you see there? In the book of Job, you had tropical force winds which knocked down the house and it killed the man's children. And there were gangs of Sabaeans and Chaldeans who rob and kill Job's people. And, and, and so that was ancient gang warfare. The devil was behind that. In, in that case, in Job's case, the devil was behind that. Two more avenues for the devil's involvement. He tempts. Not only does he lie, but he tempts. The devil makes bad 
look good to you. The devil will take something that is poison and make it look like it could be healthy. The devil can present you opportunities, present you opportunities to cheat, maybe on your spouse, or to cheat on your God. Think of the, the devil who, and this is just mind-blowing when you think about it, think of the devil tempting the Son of God to sin. The devil has the power to tempt not only us, he has the power to tempt the Son of God to sin. To, to make, he, he, he tempted him to make bread to satisfy your hunger instead of fulfilling the word of God. The devil tempted Jesus to choose comfort instead of cost. And because it's temptation, it just seemed so reasonable. Now think of the devil tempting the disciple Judas Iscariot to cheat on Jesus. The temptation there was, it was the thought that wealth, wealth matters more than walking with Jesus. The devil entered into Jesus' heart to choose silver over the Savior. And so the devil tempts. He will, to you, not just to Judas, but to you and to me, he will, he will make bad look good to you. And that, so that's a, it's a lie, it's also a temptation. And you want to be aware of that. You want to see that. When the temptation, temptation maybe it's to cheat on your test, cheat on your forms. And you think that cheating will bring about good. You think that cheating will keep you safe. Or another way he tempts us. He will tempt us when, when you let anger take root in your heart. Maybe you refuse to forgive someone who has wronged you and you refuse to forgive them who's badly hurt you. Those are exactly the kind of temptations that the devil brings to us. And the devil will push you to swallow it. Second Corinthians 2 says, that we must forgive those. We must forgive those who sin, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Forgiveness or unforgiveness, it's exactly one of his temptations. Now, we all have our lusts. We all have the lusts of the flesh. Lusts, it's not just talking about sexual lust. Lusts in the Bible, it could be a mastering desire for, for sexual pleasure, but it could be a mastering desire just for food or for fun or for just unplugging. And it, it, it dominates you. You will have this numbness just to deal with life. Or it could be a mastering desire to feel secure. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it's not right, so that I can just feel more secure with life, with my relationships. Ephesians 2. We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And this, that that giving ourselves to the lusts of the flesh. And this was according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So another avenue that the devil works in, it's, he tempts us. One last avenue is the devil's ability to do this. The devil has the ability to hide the beauty of Jesus. The devil has the ability to hide the beauty of Jesus from people. He obscures the beauty of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, the devil, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Why is it that your loved one 
has been hostile to Jesus for so many years, or, or if not hostile to Jesus, just placid, indifferent about Jesus. Why? The devil is a prince of, of darkness, and his darkness can, can blind people from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The devil has the power to hide beauty. Now, isn't that tragic? It's like those old fairy tales. The old fairy tales, maybe it's the one where the beautiful young woman gets locked into this hidden tower where no one can see her, and no one can see her beauty. Or, or the, the old fairy tales where there's a handsome prince, but he gets turned into a toad so that no one can recognize him. And that's what the devil does, the son of God, Jesus. He's been convincingly slandered as a fraud, as a crazy man. The devil has made Jesus ugly to the whole world. Now, if you've listened to all this, and, and you're someone who's investigating Christianity, we're grateful that you would be with us. And I wonder, though, if, if this talk about the devil, if all of it just sounds kind of fantastical, and you're kind of, whoa, okay, so these are people who think there's a devil. I want you to think about this, though. Let me just offer this for you to consider. Let me just offer for your consideration the history of humanity. Now, we know that our human history, it's full of, of evil acts. Not just bad acts, but things that are so bad, we would say that was just evil. We know that all human history is filled with these evil acts, like genocide, like child trafficking, the slaughter of infants. Now, what's behind all that? You look around at the people where you normally live and work, and you think, that was, that was humanity? Was that really us? And you know it was true. But you wonder, why did it happen over, why does it happen over and over in our history? It says something, doesn't it, about human nature, about fallen human nature. But when you look at it, and you just look at the people that you live with, yeah, some of them are bad. But you think, humanity can't be that far gone. And you would be right to say something like that. The doctrine of sin taught in the Bible, it teaches that the extent of our sin, it is total. But it's not the depth that's total. So our sin, our, our badness, our evil, it does touch everything we do. But it isn't at the depth that we sometimes see punctuated across history with the evil that comes out. But there's a reason for that evil that punctuates our history. There's a devil who is evil. And what he's able to do is he takes human sin, the badness and, and the evil, but the devil somehow is able to amplify it at times. The devil can incite trouble. The devil can invite our participation, mass participation. The devil can delude our thinking, and it, genocide suddenly makes sense to humanity. And it turns our, what would normally maybe just be moral water bombs. Bad, but it's just a water bomb. And he can turn them into Molotov cocktails. And so the call here is to think bigger, to think bigger about your situation. Maybe your son, maybe your daughter has turned away from God. And every conversation that you have with them, every conversation turns into an argument about your parenting mistakes, about your failure to understand. And maybe some of that's true. Maybe some of that's true. But you've got to think bigger. You've got to think bigger. The devil also has power. Your son, your daughter is going to make their choices. And you've got to remember that it's bigger than flesh and blood. It's bigger than your flesh and blood. It's bigger than your parenting blunders. 
Consider your financial trouble. If you're having financial stress right now, whatever it is, it is also bigger than your bills. The devil, for instance, the devil bankrupted Job, bankrupted him. And ultimately, none of that was about Job's mistakes. It was about whether Job would keep thanking God and whether Job would keep trusting God, whatever he lost. It was about whether the goodness of God for Job, whether the goodness of God would be greater than the grief and the losses in this life. It, it's, for whatever you're facing, this, it's bigger. It's bigger than that. It's about whether you will be able to say what Polycarp said. You know the story of Polycarp, the, one of the, the early Christians? He was an elderly man. And to be a Christian in his time and place, it meant death. And so they arrested him. And by then he was an old man. And he was condemned to death. And they would burn Polycarp to death. Tied to a pole, burned to death by fire, this old man. And when they told Polycarp to recant, to turn against Jesus, what did he say? He said, for 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? To Polycarp, Jesus was still so beautiful. Now consider your trouble. Consider your heartache. Look hard at it. The broken romance, the dead-end career, it tempts you. It tempts you, doesn't it? It tempts you to think that God is not good. To think that God has, has withheld from you what you really need. It's the temptation from the serpent in the garden. The serpent still speaks. Is God good? Can you trust him? So think bigger. And see the unseen, the subtext that's tempting you, and see the spiritual reality that's intersecting with your physical reality. Now next, we look at this. Stand in the evil day. You need to stand in the evil day. You must stand in the evil day. Stand against your unseen enemy. Verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 13, he repeats it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Now, Paul repeats himself. He's emphatic. He says, put on all the armor of God and stand. He uses military imagery here. The picture here is, it's of a Roman soldier, the Roman soldier who would, who would receive protective equipment and we'll look more at those pieces of the armor next week. But today, look at where Paul is just driving this whole image. He says, stand. And having done all, stand. Stand against your unseen enemy. Stand in the evil day. Now, I don't know what you will have to face this week. Maybe you're afraid about it. Or maybe you're just deeply, deeply discouraged. And you're so tired. But if you're a believer, God's calling you to stand. And that means whatever comes up, however bumpy the road is going to get, somehow, at the end of another week, you're still standing. And you haven't cursed God. And you haven't walked away from Jesus. You, like Job, still show up. And your words are, though he slays me, yet 
I will trust him. It's like when Jesus in John 6, he brought some hard, hard teaching to his congregation. And from that day forward, many who had been in the group left him for good. John 6, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? In our passage, Paul is employing the picture of a Roman soldier. He's calling the soldier. He's not calling him to charge forward. He's not calling him to advance. He's not calling him to take new ground. He's just calling him to stand. And having done all to stand, will you still be here when all others deconvert from Jesus, from his way? Will you still follow when Jesus calls you to give up what you love most of all? Jesus knew the rich young influencer. He knew that he loved his stuff. And so Jesus called the man to sell it all, to give it away, to walk away from it, and to follow Jesus. And that was too much for that young man. And so he left Jesus sad. To him, things, influence, were more beautiful than Jesus. Now, there are things that Jesus calls you today to surrender. Maybe something that you need to cut out from your life. Maybe it's a temptation and you've got to just cut it off. Maybe you need to be radical. There's something that you need to, you need to amputate. You need to, to just drop some subscription. Maybe you need to drop the relationship. Maybe you need to just get out of that bed. Or maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus is taking something out of your life, taking away something that you're holding on to with fondness, taking, taking away someone whom you are very fond. He's asking for it, but you won't let it go. But maybe it's just, it's just the long, hard slog that's just gone on longer than you can bear. Will you somehow stand? Will you keep showing up before God? Will, will you keep on praying? Will you keep casting up your requests to heaven, even if the sky seems like it's made out of brass? Will you, will you stick with the church when the church just keeps on disappointing you? Or will you become bitter, jaded, old and cynical? Will you, will you just curse God and, and die? The reality is that we don't stand always. We drift, we doubt, we defect from him. We don't resist temptation always. But the Christian life, it's, it's always, it's a lifetime of close quarters combat. You get elbow to elbow, you get nose to nose with temptation, with the flesh, with the devil. You will battle, you will battle weekly, daily, and maybe for some of you it's just minute by minute, and you must stand. And having done all, you must stand. And it's portrayed here as wrestling, flesh pressed against flesh. It's exhausting, though. And some of you are overwhelmed, you're tired, you're afraid, and you just want to quit. You need strength. You need strength to keep standing and to stand in the evil day. And with this, we're going to close the strength that you need to stand in the evil day. We've got two problems with this struggle. 
We've got two problems. We're either too weak or we're too strong. We're either too weak or too strong. When we are too weak, the pressure, the length of the wrestling match, we just run out. We tap out, we cave in, and you just surrender. You give in to the temptation, you give in to the bad that looks good for a moment, and you wipe out, and you end up in the place of shame. But we're also sometimes too strong, and that's also a problem. That's when you're confident, you're too confident in your track record. You're too confident in your, your, your high level of self-control, which you do have. You're confident in your flesh because you present better than the other people in the room because your family seems to look more pulled together than the people that you know. You only have water bomb sins. You don't have scandalous sins. But this is the problem with being too strong or, or, or being strong in your own strength. You look down at others and you are fragile. And if you eventually have to face the day of Job in your own life, you're going to crumble and you're going to become bitter and you're going to curse God. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Why? Because you're convinced that you never deserved to have it taken away from you. Now, with both of those problems, with, with being too weak or too strong, where are you going to get strength to stand when you're too weak or, or when you're too strong? You need someone else to stand for you. You need someone else who has stood for you. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who stood for us. And Jesus is also the one who fell. Everyone left him in the hour of the power of darkness Everyone left him. No one was left standing. The 12 ran from him. The three ran from him. They did not stand, but he kept standing for them. And there, in the scheme of the devil, as it worked out, brutal men took Jesus. And they stood Jesus. There he was standing before the court. And they slapped him as he stood there. They stripped him as he stood there. And they nailed him to a pole. And still, Jesus stood for you, for your sins. And they stood him up. They stood Jesus up on a cross. And in his crucifixion, he was stood up and he draws all people unto him. Jesus stood so that you would not fall. By his death, when he fell, you will have eternal life if you believe. Jesus fell so that we can stand. And so today, in your hour of darkness, Jesus stands for you still. When Stephen faced terrible pressures. Stones were thrown at him because of his faith in Christ. Stephen saw that the Son of God still stood for him. And so, believer, Jesus still stands for you when the stones and evil are flying. And maybe you even fall because he stands for you. Doesn't that strengthen you at least just for another minute and another minute? And if Jesus was raised and he was raised from death, you who believe will be raised up on that final day, never to fall again. And on that day, which will be the last evil day and the first day of heaven, all of our striving, all of our struggle will have ended. And the devil will be forever cast away. We will fight no more. We will feast. So can you see and stand against your unseen enemy. Let's pray.
Lord, by grace we stand. It's by grace. And we thank you for Christ, who is our strength, Christ, who is our rock. We can stand on him. And Christ is also our fortress, and we can be safe in him. But will you be our strength in the hour of temptation? Will you be the light that gives clarity when temptation looks so good? We thank you that Christ stood for us, and Christ died for us, and Christ is raised up and stands still for us today. We pray in his name. Amen.